pasta in abilage turkeys. She remembers the taste of the tomato sandwiches that Esther ate on the Madras mail to Madras. And these are only the small things. Anyway, now she thinks of Esther and Rahel as them, because the two of them are no longer what they were or ever thought they'd be. Ever. Their lives have a size and a shape now. Esther has his, and Rahel hers. Gentle half-moons have gathered under their eyes, and they are as old as Amu was when she died. Thirty-one. Not old. Not young. But a viable, diable age. They were nearly born on a bus, Esther and Rachel. The car in which Baba, their father, was taking Amu, their mother, to hospital, broke down. They flagged down a crowded state transport bus. With the queer compassion of the very poor for the comparatively well-off, or perhaps only because they saw how hugely pregnant Amu was, seated passengers made room for the couple and for the rest of the journey, Esther and Rachel's father had to hold their mother's stomach with them in it to prevent it from wobbling. That was before they were divorced and Amu came back to live in Kerala. According to Esther, if they'd been born on the bus, they'd have got free bus rides for the rest of their lives. It wasn't clear where he'd got this information from, but for years the twins harboured a faint resentment against their parents for having diddled them out of a lifetime of free bus rides. They also believed that if they were killed on a zebra crossing, the government would pay for their funerals. Of course, there were no zebra crossings to get killed on in Imanum. The government never paid for Sophie Moll's funeral because she wasn't killed on a zebra crossing. She had hers in Imanum in the old church with the new paint. She was Esther and Rachel's cousin, their uncle Charco's daughter. She was visiting from England. Esther and Rachel were seven years old when she died. Sophie Moll was almost nine. She had a special, child-sized coffin. Satin-lined. She lay in it in her yellow, crimpling bell-bottoms, with her hair in a ribbon, and her face was pale and as wrinkled as a doby's thumb from being in water for too long. The long candles on the altar were bent. The short ones weren't. Margaret Kochama, Sophie Moll's English mother, wouldn't let Charco, Sophie Moll's biological father, put his arm around her to comfort her. The family stood huddled together. Margaret Kochama, Chako, baby Kochama, and next to her, her sister-in-law, Mamachi, Esther and Rachel's and Sophie Moll's grandmother. Mamachi was almost blind and always wore dark glasses when she went out of the house. Her tears trickled down from behind them and trembled along her jaw like raindrops on the edge of a roof. Chaco was Mamachi's only son. 
her own grief grieved her. His devastated her. Amu, Esther and Rachel were made to stand separately, not with the rest of the family. Nobody would look at them. Amu's hands shook, and her hymn book with it. Her skin was cold. Esther stood close to her, his aching eyes glittering like glass, his burning cheek against the bare skin of Amu's trembling arm. Rachel, on the other hand, was brittle with exhaustion from her battle against real life. She noticed that Sophie Moll was awake for her funeral. She showed Rachel two things. Thing one was the newly painted high dome of the yellow church that Rachel hadn't ever looked at from the inside. It was painted.